Well, good morning. So glad you chose to join us again today. This past week, we started a, um, a course called Alpha, which is really the first letter in the Greek alphabet. And it's really designed to help people um, consider what it would look like to get started in the Christian faith. And um, there are a host of people who have searching questions about life and their purpose in this world and, and uh, are interested in learning more about the Christian faith. And so on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., both in person and online, you're invited to be a part of it. Uh, spread the word to friends and family, and it's really a very safe environment for you to uh, ask uh, searching questions and to work through some of the issues that are related to both life and faith. And uh, so again, online and in person, you can head over to our website, kingstreet.org, to learn more. And as well, the Blue Jays game is coming up. Our church family is heading down to the Rogers Center on a bus. We'd love to have you come and join us. And so stay tuned, watch your inbox. There'll be more details coming about how you can purchase your, your ticket or tickets. And that should be a great, uh, great night. Wednesday, June the 1st, Blue Jays and White Sox. It's always a memorable, uh, memorable time uh, down at the Rogers Center. So, well, we're starting a new series today called Getting Along. And uh, so timely, as it's pretty obvious, not just in Canada, but around the world, but in our um, homeland, uh, we're experiencing an unusual measure of polarization. It's probably been that way for the last little while. COVID maybe brought some things to a head. We'd never walked through a pandemic before. And um, actually, there was a study done out of the University of Saskatchewan, which is quite interesting. It was just uh, done actually the first two or three weeks of March of this past year. Uh, so it's uh, not even a month old. And uh, the study revealed that 72% of Canadians believe that we are polarized because of some of the political uh, posturing and the policies that were developed around this most recent pandemic. And people took sides and they held strong opinions. And 73% uh, of Canadians believed that it was uh, not only related to the pandemic, but the federal election, the most recent federal election here in Canada, polarized people even some more. And a really disappointing uh, statistic is that 40%, so four in 10 Canadians, have said that they have actually limited or um, actually cut off interactions with family and friends because of their views and some of the um, charged, supercharged conversations around the pandemic and politics. And so that's almost one in two have said that they've reduced or actually literally cut off people who were once friends and family uh, from uh, ongoing interactions. So the lead researcher in the project, Jason DeSano, uh, he said that uh, from his vantage point, what attributed to it was he called it identity politics, where people have so closely associated their identity with a political party or a left-right movement of some sort. And um, so it's, uh, it's a supercharged environment that we're living in right now. Polarization is real. In fact, social media has also been a, um, we could call it a contributor, um, where if you haven't seen the movie on Netflix, Social Dilemma, you should check it out, uh, where algorithms actually target um, our deeply held views and vantage points. And we kind of live in this echo chamber where we're talking to ourselves and the people who share our opinions, we're following them and tracking with them. And so we're really not doing a great job of listening to the other side. In fact, we're probably getting better at talking over one another and unfortunately villainizing one another. And so this series is intended to help us reconsider what it looks like for us to get along. 
And um, so I thought this was really interesting. Elon Musk was in Vancouver this past week, and you've probably seen some of the headlines around his desire to take Twitter private, and uh, we'll see whether that uh, comes to pass or not. But he, he shared this quote, which I thought was really interesting. I was watching this presentation, and he said, um, how do I respond to a person I don't like when they say something I don't like? Uh, that's huge. How do I respond to a person I don't like when they say something I don't like? And, and we don't have to look too far. In fact, he's talking about Twitter largely, but it's more than that. It's about how we interact with each other. It's about how we um, take up positions, deeply held convictions and views. And when somebody disagrees with us or somebody says something we don't like, how do we respond? It says an awful lot about us. And so uh, just a three-week series, we're going to just kind of put the emphasis on what it means for us to get along. And I think faith communities ought to lead by example. In fact, the Apostle Paul, this will be our passage to ponder from the third chapter of the book of Colossians in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, uh, Paul is an apostle. He's had a first-hand encounter with the Lord Jesus, and he's writing letters to encourage and to instruct the first-century Christians. And he's writing to a church in a place called Colossae. That's why it's called Colossians. And in chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is their identity, right? Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are all loaded words, some strong Christian virtues. And then he says these four words, bear with each other. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. And then he says, as the Lord forgave you. And so very, very powerful passage there about how we can, as Jesus following people, bear with one another. And it does start by putting on some Christian virtues and practicing um, again, a reminding, reminding ourselves of who we are as um, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is our identity. And then we actually practice uh, forgiveness. And uh, forgiveness is a financial term. We cancel debts and we don't keep score. And it's, it's a beautiful way for us to live in harmony with one another. And so I really do think the church is presented with an opportunity, those who follow the Lord Jesus, to actually reach across divides and be the kinds of people who, um, you know, cover one another, even though we may disagree. And so um, I, I want to talk with you this morning about three things. The first is myths that can trip us up around how we can get along. The second is about some confusion around our identity. And I'll explain this in just a few moments and our ideology, some of the, the views that we hold. Sometimes there can be some confusion around that. Who are we really? And what positions do we really hold? And so we'll talk a bit more about that. And then the role of spiritual conflict. And this idea might be new to some of you, but we live in a supercharged spiritual world. And um, there, is, there are dynamics that take place in the unseen world that impact the seen world. Or we could say it differently, the supernatural dynamic of life impacts the natural arena of life. And so um, we're going to, to talk, uh, start, first start our talk around these myths. And I, I have three of them for you. And I think we need to address them because if we live in the realm of the mythology, we will end up hurting ourselves. We will not be well positioned to um, relate well with people who disagree with us or whom we disagree with. So 
The first one, myths that can trip us up. Here's the first myth. Acceptance equals agreement. That's a myth. Acceptance equals agreement. Um, we don't have to agree with one another in order to accept one another. In fact, it's been said before that we don't need to see eye to eye in order to walk shoulder to shoulder. I really like that idea. We don't need to see eye to eye in order to walk shoulder to shoulder. Uh, acceptance and agreement are not synonymous. Um, listen to this, Romans chapter 15. Again, the same author, the Apostle Paul, writes these words. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says these three words, Accept one another. Then, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So he, he invites the early Christians in Rome to accept one another. Now that's chapter 15. In chapter 14, Paul writes about what he called these disputable matters. In other words, there could be a case made about this, or there could be a case made about that. But at the end of the day, it's not an issue of right versus wrong. It's an issue of different. And, and Paul writes and says, we ought to trust one another and allow each other's conscience to guide us in our decision-making around these disputable matters. So in chapter 14, uh, the Bible talks about things that are in the realm of not black or white, but gray. And, and sometimes in life, things are not black or white. They are just shades of gray. And when we encounter a shades of gray um, conversation point, Paul says here that we ought to accept one another regardless of the view they've adopted. We may not see eye to eye on it, but we can choose to walk shoulder to shoulder. So the first myth is this, acceptance does not equal agreement. Um, we can accept one another even when we disagree. All right, myth number two is this. Track with me on this one. Here's a second myth. Conflict does not equal community. You can't have community with conflict and it leads to chaos. That's a myth. So conflict, if you have conflict present in a relationship, you can't have a strong sense of community with that person. In fact, what you'll end up with is chaos. That's a myth. Um, I, I believe instead that community and conflict go together. In fact, you can have conflict in community and not have to have chaos. Um, sometimes we have expectations of faith communities or local churches or workplaces, families and marriages, and some of those expectations can be misplaced. And, and when they are exaggerated in some way and our expectations are either uh, inflated or, or diminished, um, we end up hurting ourselves. But when it comes to inflated expectations, we think that there shouldn't be any conflict. Well, conflict and human life go together. It's just the way life works. Um, the conversation should be less about if we have conflict and more about when we have conflict and then how we'll go about resolving it. Um, scripture is loaded with so much pragmatic, helpful counsel when we bump into each other and when we struggle with offense or disappointment or hurt, or wounds of some sort, and how we can manage our way through it. Uh, Jesus, in fact, said there can be an orderly way, a non-chaotic way that we can approach um, disagreements or hurts, uh, or as Jesus said, when someone sins against you. And so Jesus says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister sins, and that's against you, of course, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Don't broadcast it far and wide. Don't go on social media. Don't tell three friends or 33 friends. You know, go to your brother, go to your sister. Keep the circle tight. Keep it small. 
protect one another and deal with the grievance accordingly. He says, but if they won't listen to you, if there's no headway there, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so enlarge the circle with some maturity, with some mature individuals who can come alongside and try to help mediate and create a, a, a harmonious outcome. And he says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And now that's not on a Sunday morning broadcasting it or on our YouTube channel. Uh, that's, that's much more about tell it to church leaders and help leaders get involved in, in mediating. And so keep it personal one-on-one -on -one, and then broaden it to a few mature friends who might be able to help with that person. And then if that doesn't work, you know, go to church leaders and hopefully you'll be able to bring about a resolution. And he says, and if they refuse to listen even to the church or church leaders, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean treat them rudely or poorly. It means treat them kindly. Uh, there, is, there is no space in the Christian community for retribution and for dealing harshly with others, but to deal with them with kindness. And as we read in our passage to ponder, to be people of grace and kindness and gentleness and, and forgiveness. And so, um, you know, conflict and community do go together and it doesn't have to be chaotic. All right, the third myth is this. Um, unity does not equal uniformity. Uh, you've probably heard that before. In, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he's praying for himself and then he prays for his disciple friends and then he prays for those who will believe uh, based on the witness of, of previous generations of disciples, which is us, those of us who believe. And Jesus is praying that we would all be one, that there would be a strong measure of unity. And so, again, those of you who might be new to faith or at the edges of faith, as you think about what Jesus is all about, he is all for bringing people together. And so he wants a measure of unity because God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a plurality of persons in the one Godhead. And then we are invited to emulate him or to reflect him in the world by pursuing oneness. And so we don't want to be fragmented people as an individual. We want to be whole people. And then we want to reach out and bring people together. We don't want to be the kinds of people who separate and divide. We want to be the kinds of people who bring people together. Now, in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one, that there would be a strong measure of unity. And then he would also send out his disciple friends and said, go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel baptizing people in the trifold name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was sending his disciples out into the world that was incredibly diverse and is still incredibly diverse today. And he says, they ought to go and make disciplined followers of him. And Jesus' prayer is that we would be one. So he understood that in the middle of diversity, there could be unity. So uniformity does not equal unity. There can be tremendous oneness in the middle of great difference. In fact, we get this little snapshot picture of heaven in the book of Revelation, where the nations have gathered around the throne to worship the one true God. And there is a collective sense of diversity because different isn't bad or wrong. Different is different and different can be incredibly beautiful. And so unity does not equal uniformity. All right, so just three myths there. Now let's move forward here with uh, number two, some confusion around identity and idolatry. Um, uh, ideology. Confusion around identity and ideology. Again, this is about getting along. People are not the problem. Um, so identity really matters because um, identity influences behavior. And, and Satan himself knows that. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And uh, when he's coming out of the water, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son 
whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Uh, strong affirmation for Jesus from his father. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. A few verses later in chapter four of the book of Matthew, it says that the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And the temptation goes like this. Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, he says, go ahead and do these things. Demonstrate your power. If you are the son of God. Just moments earlier in Matthew three, the father speaks and says, this is my son whom I love. And so Satan comes to call Jesus to question or reconsider his identity. Because if he can get us to reconsider our identity, he will influence our behavior. And so um, let's talk about identity for just a moment. Back to our passage to ponder. Paul opens up by inviting us to be the kinds of people when we have grievances, that we ought to be people of love and forgiveness. But at the very beginning, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who we are. Those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus. We are his chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And then everything else in the passage comes out of that sense of identity. If we are confused about who we are as the people of God, then we may end up acting just like the world around us. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist these days to look around at how the world is behaving and functioning and taking shots at each other and, um, you know, being incredibly mean-spirited and cancel culture and everything else that's going on. Uh, if we're going to behave like them, then we will have forgotten who we are. And so those of you who may not be in um, the kingdom of God or haven't put your saving faith in Jesus yet, uh, this is part of the beauty and the goodness of what uh, the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. We are supposed to be the kinds of people who understand who we are, dearly loved, wholly chosen by God, to live different kinds of lives. So we are image bearers first as humans, then we are Jesus following people, and then everything else follows after that. So identity, that's what I mean when I say identity. It's important that we're clear about that. And now let's talk a little bit about ideology. Remember, we're image bearers first. We were made in the image and likeness of God, made to reflect his glory to the world, every human being. Then some of us who are on this YouTube channel today have put our saving faith in Jesus. And so we are Christ followers. And, and that's a very important part of our identity. And then now we all hold some measure of ideology. So let's, let's take a look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. Now, um, they say that you shouldn't talk about religion or politics at a dinner party. And I know this isn't a dinner party, and we're already talking about religion. So why not talk about politics, right? We're in this deep. We might as well go the whole nine yards. So let me introduce just a thought for you, because it's a cautionary caveat for all of us. Politics can be incredibly divisive. And I realize that there was no left or right in the first chapter of the book of Joshua as we understand left and right today. Uh, it was not indicative or clearly teaching about a political ideology, but at the edges of what Joshua 1 teaches, there is this sense in which um, Joshua is invited by the Lord to stay on the straight and narrow and to be up close and personal with the one true God and not divert to polar positions or polar views or to be attracted to polarizing behaviors, things that would actually hurt, hurt Joshua as a young leader. So listen to what he says here, uh, Joshua 1 verses 7 and 9, God speaking. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Moses has just died. Joshua is his successor, and God says, now it's your turn to lead. 
He says, be careful that you obey. And then he says, don't turn from it, which is the ways of God, to the right or to the left. Stay focused that you may be successful wherever you go. And then he continues and says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so when it comes to our ideology or our worldview or what frames our hearts, um, God is saying to this young leader, the protege of Moses, there's going to be a heavy weight, a heavy load of leadership put on him. He says, don't go left and don't go right. Make sure you stay obedient. Make sure you stay focused. Meditate on the book of the law of God. Keep that close to your heart. That will lead you to be successful. So let me just sort of pull a practical application from this. It would have been easy for Joshua, as it is easy for us, to go left or to go right and to confuse our identity with our ideology or to maybe minimize our identity as the people of God with our ideology. And as I said, I would bring up politics, left and right. Uh, what defines us should not be our political convictions. We're allowed to have them. We should care about our country in the best way for our country to move forward. But God is speaking here to a young leader who says, make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. And don't get distracted with lefts and rights and make more of those things that are at the periphery uh, than you should with core issues at the very center. So identity, ideology, we can look at people across political divides and say, we may disagree, but we talked about the myth earlier. We don't have to, again, um, agree in order to accept one another. And that's what I love about the body of Christ. There is so much diversity, political uh, diversity. There's like a mosaic of political views. And here's the other thing. Jesus does not sponsor one over the other. Jesus can be found in all of them to some degree, and he is missing in all of them to some degree. And so our faith in Jesus should transcend our political ideologies. All right, and then the last one is methodology here, as we consider uh, what it means for us to uh, not be confused about identity and ideology. Our methodology really matters. And um, I thought this was really, really helpful. The way people treat you is a statement about who they are as a human being. It's not a statement about you. Uh, that's so huge. People are not always gonna treat us well. And that's not a statement about us, it's a statement about them. And if we don't treat people well, that's a reflection on us, not a reflection on them. And then Paul writes again, same author, Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians here, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Christians should go another way. Those who have put their saving faith in Christ should find an alternate route than the way of this world. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The way the world deals with their problems should be different than the way the church or than the way Christians deal with their problems. Uh, he says, rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So a real quick application point here. It doesn't take much to go onto social media, especially some of the platforms where it can become a little antagonistic and see the way people shout over each other. Jesus following people should not be shouting over each other. We should be actually leading with our ears, 
leading with a sense of inquiry and interest and curiosity and looking to find commonality and looking to learn from other people. At the same time, holding our own convictions, there's nothing wrong with that, and, but we bring them. We bring them with a measure of maturity into a conversation of mutual respect and of mutual interest. I think that will serve everyone really well. All right, the final point is this, the role of spiritual conflict. Um, we do well to recognize that there are forces at work in this world that we can't always measure with our five senses. Uh, people of faith understand that there is a dimension uh, to reality uh, that we cannot see. Um, scripture teaches that God is spirit. In fact, Jesus taught about um, the spiritual dynamic as being a little bit like the wind. Um, it's hard to, to contain, uh, almost impossible to contain. And it's hard to grasp and get a hold of, but we see its effects. And uh, there is a spiritual dimension to life. There is a supernatural dimension to reality. And uh, we do well to understand that there is a spirit realm that impacts the natural realm, that there is an unseen world that impacts the seen world. And this is consistent with the Apostle Paul when he writes and gives some instruction to the early Christians. Um, we need to understand, too, that the unseen world, spiritual dynamics at play, can influence marriages, families, workplaces, churches. And so listen to what he writes in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. People are not our problem. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When Paul writes those words, this is really, really interesting is that it's just on the heels of Paul talking about how marriages should work, how families should work, how we ought to function in workplaces with our employers. And then he says, by the way, people are not the problem. There's way more going on. And so we need to be paying attention to the other dynamic and the other dimension of life too, which is the unseen world. And it's also at play in disciple-making communities and in church leadership. Um, listen to Jesus again, interact with one of his good friends, Peter. Jesus is on his mission to fulfill the Father's call over his life to seek and to save that which was lost, which is all of humanity. And so in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. We just came through this on Easter. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. He says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're in the way of me accomplishing the mission I've been called to. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Um, what's really interesting is just a few verses earlier, Peter made the good confession that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, he said, upon this confession, upon your confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. And so Peter and what he had um, confessed was going to be a cornerstone for what God was going to do through um, the apostles and, and through us in, in the age we're living in now that Jesus was going to build his church. And yet that church leader was also used in that way, um, in that moment, to get in the way of the mission of Jesus. And so we need to remember that... Um, there is an unseen world that wants to get in the way of the mission of God in the world, which is to bring people together. Division 
uh, is always problematic. So let me leave you with, this, with these three thoughts. Getting along with others has a huge impact on the quality of our lives. Remember that our relational grievances impact God's heart. And so God cares about us getting along. Secondly, take action to advocate for peace and harmony. The passage, love covers over a multitude of sins, is an important one. Not every grievance needs to be a big deal. Be selective with the rewind button. Playing it over and over can be problematic. When people have grieved or hurt us in some way, don't rewind it and play it over and over again. Keep moving forward. Address it as needed, but keep moving forward. And then finally, forgiveness will bring you more peace than revenge or retribution ever can. So we're gonna spend some time over the next few weeks learning how to get along. And I hope whether you're a person of faith or not a person of faith, that you'll find a lot of value in the teachings that come from God's word. Let me pray for you and then I'll uh, send it back to the host pastors. Father, thank you again today for the invitation to live in relationship with others. And it's not always easy for us to get along. Help us to do so and help us to learn lessons so that we can get better at relating with one another. I just pray, Lord, for each person who's watching today that you would help them to be at their absolute best so that they can enjoy the goodness and the gift that others are in their lives. And uh, we thank you for all the help that Jesus provides for us along the way. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen.